Good morning. The title of this morning's message is Instantly Their Eyes Were Open. This message actually comes from a scripture that uh, Mariana and I were looking at last week. I was sharing with Mariana how I hear God, how I go to the Word, how I ask God, and I have this reading plan, which month will I find what you want to say to me? And she knew instantly today's date. We're supposed to read today's date. Okay. <laughs> you see, that's the Holy Spirit. When you suddenly know something and you don't know why you know it, but you know it. And so when we were reading through this passage of Scripture, I kept telling her, this is perfect for you. <laughs> this is perfect for you. <laughs> and the truth is, it's perfect for all of us. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about seeing and hearing Jesus, particularly through the written word. The title of my message comes from uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 31. And I have it for you in the Murdoch translation, which says this. And instantly their eyes were opened and they knew him and he took himself from them. The King James says he, he vanished. This verse speaks of two disciples on their way out of Jerusalem on the day that Jesus had been risen from the dead and how Jesus took them by surprise. That's just so like our Jesus. This verse is found within Luke's narrative of what took place on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And we're going to read quite a bit of chapter 24. But first, let's set the stage. Jesus was crucified just two days before. He died right before their eyes. And no one could believe that it actually happened. How could the Messiah be crucified? He did so many wonderful works. He taught that the kingdom of God had come, that it was present. He proved that he was with God, that God was with him by going about and doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. How could this not be the Messiah? But there he was, dead. <laughs> and after he died, he was taken down from the cross and laid in a tomb. And as the tomb was sealed with a very large stone, all of their hopes and dreams were dashed right before their eyes. Because it certainly looked as if all was lost. There was probably a lot of crying <laughs> and a lot of questions between Friday and Sunday. He's the Messiah. How could this have happened? <laughs> but then Sunday came, and this is where our story begins. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went into the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. The they are the women that wanted to minister to Jesus' body. I like that this verse begins with but <laughs> in this particular translation. It was still dark, but that didn't stop the women who were determined to minister to Jesus. It was very early. In other words, it was very inconvenient, but they didn't let that stop them. 
They knew there was a large stone covering the entrance to the tomb, and they had no idea how they were going to get it out of the way. But they went anyway. They didn't let anything stop them from seeking Jesus. Now that'll preach. <laughs> Verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. What? <laughs> How about that? God did for them what they could not do for themselves. What they thought was going to be an obstacle was miraculously moved out of the way. God has a way of going before us and opening doors for us after we have set our heart on seeking Jesus. And after we step out in faith and begin our search, regardless of the buts that we have in our lives. For us, when God called Mark and I to go to Bible college, we had some buts. <laughs> but God, it's so far away. But God, it's so expensive. But God, how are we going to do this? But God, we can't get there in time. But God, but God. <laughs> I knew 30 years ago that one day I would go to Bible college. I didn't know where, and I didn't know when. I just knew that someday I would. And as God started talking to me about actually going to an Andrew Womack conference, God said, this is the weekend. And I had thought about changing our plans at the last minute, because we didn't have as many vacation days as we originally thought we had. And so uh, God said, do not do that. Do not miss your destiny. And I was like, destiny? That's a pretty serious word. <laughs> and he wanted it to sound that way for me. Do not miss your destiny. I have a plan for you. And that plan involves you going to Karis now. Mark knew nothing about it. <laughs> and we went to this conference and God set us up. It didn't matter how many butts we had. God was moving them one by one out of the way. There was no class, no school in Kenosha. We would have to figure out how to get to Chicago in time to be there on a Tuesday and a Thursday night. We're like, oh, we might be able to squeeze in a half hour late, but God, so he didn't tell us that they were starting a school in Kenosha. He just said, no buts. Step out and do what I've called you to do. That's who our Jesus is. Also, Jesus wasn't the one who needed the stone rolled out of the way to get out of the tomb. <laughs> In all of the Easter plays that I ever saw, the stone is miraculously moved and Jesus comes walking out. Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away. Everybody else needed the stone rolled away so they could see he's not in there. <laughs> he could walk through walls. He didn't need the stone rolled away. He's the one who causes our stones to be rolled away. Verse 3. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now this was a huge surprise. No one. Absolutely no one actually expected Jesus to rise from the dead, even though he plainly told them that he would. We can see one of these times that Jesus told them this in Luke chapter 9, verse 2. This is Jesus speaking. 
saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So no one should have been really surprised, but everybody was eventually. <laughs> Verse four, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? These women went looking for a dead man instead of a living man. When they get there, they see something they've never seen before. They're actually angels, but it says men. Men with clothes that are giving off flashes of lightning. This dazzling apparel doesn't mean it's just a little bit sparkly. <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, lightning coming off of them. The, the power and the glory of God is coming off of them. And they've never seen anything like this. Men with clothes that look like lightning. That would be a little scary. <laughs> so it says they bowed their head and I bet they closed their eyes. <laughs> I don't know what this is. <laughs> you see, people always thought God was trying to kill them. <laughs> if men with lightning clothes show up, he might want to kill us. <laughs> but that's when the angel asks them the question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, they were saying, your mental picture of Jesus needs to be changed because he's no longer dead. They had expected Jesus to look very much like the last time they saw him, <laughs> dead and wrapped in linen. <laughs> but the angel continues. Verse 6, he is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you why he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. There's a really good way to remember God's words. Write them down. <laughs> For me, if I don't write down what I hear God saying to me, it'll just be a day or two and I'll forget. It's like, well, what was that again, Lord? What was that again, Lord? Write it down. This is such an important point and principle that we remember what Jesus has said, both in the written word and by his spirit. What he speaks to us through the word, what he speaks to us as we walk through our day, because he does, he's always speaking. And writing down especially what he speaks to us personally because Jesus is faithful to keep his word to us. Verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. This goes back to how men viewed women during that time. The testimony of women was almost always considered to be suspect. But yet, it was the women who first heard and first proclaimed the good news that Jesus had risen from the dead. <laughs> I love the fact that it was the women who went looking for Jesus in order to minister to him. Because they went looking for him, 
They're the ones that got to see the angels. They got to hear the proclamation that he's written. They got to be first, which was not a place where women usually had. Now, the men could have been there too. (laughs) If they had believed what Jesus had told them, or if they had wanted to continue to minister to Jesus' body too. We know it was two men who took his body off the cross. It was two men who ministered to him with 100 pounds of aloe. So it wasn't out of the realm of possibility, but they did not believe. Verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. I love the fact that Peter ran to the tomb. It's just so Peter-like. <laughs> I don't believe you, but I'm going to have to go see for myself like right now. <laughs> He's so impulsive. <laughs> but he didn't believe, or did he? Was there some hope there? Why did he run? Why did he run? Why didn't he just take a sweet time? The scripture doesn't actually tell us why he ran, except there might be a little competition between him and the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he didn't want the disciple whom Jesus loved getting there before him. (laughs) Such a Peter thing. (laughs) Perhaps he was hoping to see the angels too. But they didn't appear to him or to John. But what Peter did see caused him to marvel. The burial cloths were still there. And that just does not make sense. You see, if Jesus' body had been stolen, which is the story they come up with later, (laughs) the thieves would not have taken the time to carefully unwrap the dead body. Dead bodies, especially after two or three days, are kind of icky. (laughs) Why would you unwrap it just to steal it? That makes no sense at all. Peter knew that. Why are those cloths still here? It's also possible, scholars say, that he didn't just see the clothes, the wrappings unwrapped and laying there, but it's actually possible that when he looked in, he saw the form of the body with nothing in it. (laughs) It's like, that would be unusual too. (laughs) Obviously he got out of there. But how? (laughs) He wasn't even unwrapped. (laughs) But again, who would unwrap a body? Nobody. So it's no wonder that Peter was flabbergasted, because the truth is absolutely nobody would undress a dead body in order to steal it. So where did it go? (laughs) Well, unbeknownst to them, Jesus had business to attend to with a couple of his disciples, on the road to Emmaus. These were not any of the apostles. I like that. Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Why? Because Jesus didn't want them to recognize who he was just yet. Not until he had spent some time with them. 
And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad, probably thinking, what rock do you live under? <laughs> but Jesus knew how they were feeling and that they didn't yet understand what had to happen, which was part of the reason he was there. He was there to help them understand what had happened. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? They're like, uh, surely you would have heard this by now. <laughs> and he said to them, what things? <laughs> you see, when Jesus asks us a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. <laughs> it's because we don't know the answer. <laughs> and he wants us to see it. He wants us to see something we haven't previously seen. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. They knew exactly who was responsible for his death. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. <laughs> Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I like this verse. I think that we should inject some giggling <laughs> and some joy and some happiness in here, <laughs> not anger. So often when Christians read a statement like this, they think Jesus is mad. <laughs> no, he's like, oh, you silly people. <laughs> I told you plainly and still you are slow to believe. <laughs> but something great was going to happen. So Jesus was not mad. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? See, he's asking the questions now. <laughs> and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, that would take quite a while. <laughs> and scholars guesstimate that it was probably about three hours of walking and talking with Jesus before they even knew who it was they were talking to. How fun. <laughs> How fun to have the author of the book explain all the types and shadows regarding himself in the scriptures. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And instantly their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. The word instantly isn't in there as a separate word. It is implied by the context. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? 
while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has indeed risen (laughs) and has appeared to Simon. Now, it doesn't tell us how they knew that Jesus had appeared to Simon, (laughs) but they knew it. (laughs) Verse 35. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The other apostles and disciples only saw Jesus through their own preconceived lens. They believed that the Messiah would come and redeem Israel the same way Moses redeemed Israel out of Egypt. They expected Jesus to supernaturally overthrow Rome. The Messiah they expected would return the land of Israel to Israel's authority and rule. So they didn't see Jesus for who he really was, according to the written word. The actual son of God and the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Jesus was the one who bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was the one on whom the Father laid the iniquity of us all. But none of his disciples saw him that way. They only saw him for what they wanted him to be. Yes, he was a mighty prophet just like Moses. And yes, he was the one Moses prophesied about. But they didn't understand what God was really up to and what this particular prophet would actually accomplish. The apostle Peter brings this prophet up in Acts chapter 3, verse 22, which says this. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. It doesn't say, and he will point you back to the law. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Again, this is important, both literally and spiritually. And by that, I mean literally in referring to the written word and spiritually referring to when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and reveals to us our Father and our Jesus' thoughts. And he loves to do that particularly through the written word. Acts 3.22 is a quote from Deuteronomy 18, where Moses goes on to tell the Israelites how to differentiate between a true word from God from the mouth of a true prophet and a false word given presumptuously in the name of God. And I like that he says it that way because he, he doesn't condemn anyone who would prophesy presumptuously. I thought God said this. Been there, done that. <laughs> Guy's like, nope, close. Close, a little more clarification. (laughs) But we can see this in Deuteronomy 18, verses 21 and 22. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. In other words, what comes from the mouth of a true prophet will come to pass, period. And Jesus, the true prophet, has prophesied that he would be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day be raised. So as a true prophet, it had to come to pass. 
He had to rise from the dead according to his word because he is both a prophet and God. <laughs> but the disciples didn't understand what God was really up to. And because they didn't understand some of the prophetic scriptures like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, they didn't understand why Jesus died. They thought his mission was to overcome Rome, when in reality, his mission was to overcome the power of sin and death. So while Jesus' identity was hidden from them, he took the opportunity to take them through all of the scriptures that pointed to his true identity and his true mission, which was to bear the sin of all mankind into death, and then to rise from the dead, thereby proving that sin had been conquered. It's very much like when Jesus asked the Pharisees, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or rise and walk to a paralyzed man? <laughs> we would say forgiven you. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, equally easy. Jesus basically told them that he could prove that men's sins were forgiven by saying to him, arise, take up your bed and go your way. And the man did. <laughs> His healing was the physical proof of what they could not physically see, the forgiveness of sin. Now, no one could actually see the imputation of our sins onto Jesus when he was on the cross. But the apostles and the disciples got to see the evidence of this victory by seeing the resurrected Christ in his glorified body. Jesus wasn't resuscitated back into his mortal body that would die again, like Lazarus was. Jesus was raised to his immortal, glorified body, which was able to walk through walls and even to vanish right in front of his disciples. The eternal life that Jesus always had inside of him, in his spirit, was the same eternal life that raised his body from the dead. And it's the same for us. We can see this in John chapter 5, verses 24 through 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. In other words, believers do not enter into the judgment of death for their sins. Death is simply a separation from the body, the body from the spirit. And by faith, we have received the eternal life of Christ right now in our spirit when we believe on Jesus. So for us, death is just a doorway for us to walk through. We already possess Christ's eternal life within our spirit right now. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, the, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus is saying that at that time, the spiritually dead could and would receive eternal life if they heard the voice of Jesus and believed in their heart. Verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in the future when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good 
in the new covenant that pertains to us believing on Jesus, <laughs> to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil under the new covenant, that would be to reject Jesus, to the resurrection of judgment. So this speaks of our future physical resurrection into our glorified bodies, not resuscitated bodies, glorified. So we have right now already passed from death into immortal life. And the evidence of this guarantee is the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we can see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed. And that means stamped, imprinted. They had a ring that made a seal. And on our soft, squishy <laughs> spirit, Jesus is imprinted. He stamped on us. We become one. In our spirit, we look just like Jesus. <laughs> you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Our inheritance includes our resurrected, glorified bodies, living in a resurrected, glorified world, because everything is going to be new. So, knowing Jesus through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures enables us to better recognize him and his hand at work in our lives. We need both, Holy Spirit and Holy Scriptures. So why did Jesus initially hide his identity from these two unnamed disciples? Well, there's probably a number of reasons, but Jesus didn't actually explain why. <laughs> but would they have calmly listened for three hours to all that Jesus was revealing to them if they had known that he was their resurrected Lord? Probably not. <laughs> they probably would have had all kinds of questions that had nothing to do with what Jesus wanted them to learn that day. <laughs> you have to change your mind. You have to see things the way God sees them. You have to understand new covenant in order to look at the old covenant with the right lens. And one of the things I think he wanted them to learn is also that the things he wants us to learn, which is the best way to know Jesus and see Jesus and recognize Jesus is through the scriptures. Jesus opened their understanding to be able to understand the prophetic pictures and types and shadows of all that Jesus came to fulfill. And it was only as they first saw the truth of who Jesus was and what the Father's plan really was through the scripture. When they first saw the truth of who Jesus was and what the Father's plan really was, it was through the scriptures. The scriptures enabled their eyes to be instantly opened and they knew him. I like the way King James says that in verse 31. And they knew him. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. The word new here is epigonosco. And of course, it's comprised of two root words, epi and gnosko. Epi is over and above. And gnosko means to know, to have knowledge, to have recognition of, and to be fully acquainted with. So this kind of knowledge is over and above natural knowledge. It's what we call revelation knowledge. It's something we can only see because we have been divinely enabled by the Holy Spirit to be able to see 
and to be able to understand. It happens to us when that internal light goes on and we can see what was previously hidden. For these two disciples, it was only after Jesus had revealed himself through the scriptures that Jesus did something in the natural that caused them to fully know and recognize who he really was and what he really came to do. It was when Jesus blessed the Father and then broke the bread. The Jewish people don't actually bless their food the way Christians do. (laughs) Instead, they would bless the Father and acknowledge his provision and give thanks to him for all that he had given. There wasn't this, God, please bless the food. No, it was all about blessing the Father, glorifying the Father. He's the provider. He's everything. That's the way they did it. So when Jesus did this, the light on the inside of them went on. They saw it. They saw the truth of who Jesus really was. They knew that he was exactly who he said he was in that moment. He was the bread of life. And we can see this in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 48. Here Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. (laughs) This is the bread that comes down from heaven. And when he says this, he's probably pointing to himself. This is the bread that came down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am, pointing to himself, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus told them plainly he would give his physical life, his own loaf of bread, so to speak, (laughs) so that the whole world could have God's eternal life. But the disciples present that day couldn't see through their own natural understanding. In fact, most of Jesus' disciples grumbled (laughs) about Jesus saying that they needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. They only heard what he said through their own carnal, natural mind. And they needed the Holy Spirit to turn the light on, to help them understand what he was actually talking about. And Jesus told them that this was the case in verse 63 of that same chapter. He said, it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who gives life, immortality, the flesh, the carnal mind, your flesh-headed brain is of no help (laughs) at all. (laughs) The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and life. Jesus was saying that these were spiritual words and they could only be interpreted spiritually speaking. They only interpreted it naturally. No, we're not going to cut Jesus up and (laughs) everybody gets a piece of cake. (laughs) No. (laughs) It was to be spiritually understood. The light turned on for them when they saw Jesus break the bread. Something inside said, oh, we've seen this before. (laughs) They had seen the breaking of bread and the feeding of the 5,000. They had seen the breaking of bread and the feeding of the 4,000. He's always eating. (laughs) He's always providing food. (laughs) But it was in that breaking of the bread that something on the inside of them clicked. And they got it. They saw it for what it was. They understood. And their hearts burned 
or were ignited with the light of the Holy Spirit. Then they understood that it was all according to the scriptures, that the Christ would suffer and die, and on the third day be raised from the dead. They could finally see it. Jesus had to give his physical life, his physical loaf of bread. It had to be broken so that we could have both his spiritual life and his physical everlasting life, both. (laughs) And then after the light went on, he vanished right before their eyes. They couldn't see him anymore physically. But guess what? They knew him in a way they never knew him before. And once they saw Jesus in the word, they could always see Jesus in the word. Jesus knew that we, who have come to believe on him and have passed from death to life, would sometimes prefer if Jesus would just show up physically (laughs) and talk to us, explain things, (laughs) because we imagine that we would have much more faith that way. Surely if we saw Jesus in his physical glorified body, we would believe it. We would believe it was him. (laughs) But that wasn't the response Jesus got later that day, the same day, when he appeared physically to the apostles. They too doubted that it was really him. They too misunderstood the mission. They too had to have their minds renewed. So Jesus did for them the same thing he did earlier that day for the disciples, the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. He opened the scriptures to them, revealing who he really was and what he really came to do. We can see this in Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 44. And then he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Something he does for us. Verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance, the changing of mind for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. All nations, not just Israel. Seeing Jesus and his glorified physical body is not what convinced the two disciples on the way to Emmaus that Jesus had been resurrected. It was the written word of God. It was seeing the truth of what was prophesied and how it all came to pass, just as God had told them it would. Jesus had to open their eyes to be able to see in a new way what they already knew was written. Coming into the understanding of grace, I had to do a lot of unlearning. The disciples and the apostles had to do a lot of unlearning. Grace had come. The new covenant had begun. And they didn't understand it at all. (laughs) It began with being able to see Jesus in the old and the Father's hand in the old so that they could look back and see in a whole different way, a whole new lens, the same way we have to. We don't throw away the old covenant because it's old. (laughs) It foretells what would come. We see the hand of God. We see how he intervenes and how he moves mountains and parts waters in the old. 
but it had everything to do with what who would come and what Jesus would do. So basically, Jesus gave them a brand new lens, a new way of seeing, and a new way of understanding what was already written. They needed to see both Jesus and the Father in their true identities. They needed to see Jesus in his real identity, not the identity they had put on him. They needed to see Jesus as the Messiah, yes, but the Messiah who was also a suffering servant, who would lay down his life to rescue all of mankind from the power of sin and death. Before this, they never thought of the Messiah that way. Never. And they also needed to comprehend that Jesus came to show us what the Father was actually like. Not what we thought he was like, but what he was actually like. They needed to see that the Father so loved not just Israel, but the whole world. Yes, Jesus and the Father loved the heathen. <laughs> they couldn't comprehend that. <laughs> Surely you have to be good for God to love you. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only unique son to die in our place so that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal, immortal life now. <laughs> the very life of Jesus now and in the future in our glorified bodies. So Jesus is always willing and able to help us see through this new lens. What Jesus did for them, Jesus will do for us. <laughs> the lens of the new covenant, the lens of God's amazing grace. And believe me, everything looks different through this lens. Everything I thought I knew, I had to have my mind renewed to how it really was, not the way I thought it was. Everything looks different through the lens of the new covenant. Coming into this revelation of just how extravagant God's grace is forced me to read the Bible differently, and it still does. <laughs> I'm preparing a message. I have to decipher what is of the old and what is of the new. We don't throw any of the Bible away, but it all doesn't pertain to us the way it pertained to them. It's there for us to be able to see and believe in God's amazing ability to orchestrate everything in our life. It doesn't matter what the buts are. <laughs> God is able to orchestrate everything in our life as we trust him and as we step out in faith, trusting him. Jesus is still the same now as he was then. He is still willing to open up the scriptures to us so that we can see correctly who he is and who the Father really is. He is still turning on the light for all who will come and seek him through the written word. And he is still willing to surprise us <laughs> with his presence when the darkness of disappointment or sorrow or confusion cloud our vision. Jesus is still willing to show us that he's real and that he's trustworthy and that we can see and do and hear him through the written word and through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is still in the business of speaking to our unbelief and bringing us into a place of confidence in all that he has said and in all that he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. My point is, Jesus is still speaking. 
He's still inviting his disciples to come and see him and his father through the new lens of the new covenant by spending time with him in the written word. The father calls to us. You need something changed? You want something different to happen? It all begins with the word. We have to have his word and we have to understand it correctly. And it's all of his grace. Years ago, I had a nephew come to live with us. His mother was incarcerated. And so I had the responsibility to raise him up. He was a very difficult young man. Very difficult young man. <laughs> he would lie to my face, knowing full well he was lying. <laughs> One time I caught him with his hand in the cookie jar. I said, get your hand out of that cookie jar. He says, my hand's not in the cookie jar. Excuse you? I am not blind. <laughs> That's how contrary he was about everything. But one of the things I did with my kids back then was they had a set bedtime. And I told them, this is your bedtime, but if you will read the word for 30 minutes, you can stay up an extra half hour. And they thought, this is great. You know, even the four-year-old's pretending he's reading so he can stay up. <laughs> My nephew at that time, he didn't like to read. He said, is it possible for me to listen to the word rather than read it? Well, I didn't have the Bible on tape at that time. That's, yes, that's how long ago it was, cassettes. <laughs> so I went to the Christian library and I rented, if you will, the Bible on tape. And every night, he wanted to stay up. So every night, he listened to the word of God. And within two weeks, the word of God started to change him. He wasn't even trying. <laughs> the word of God does the work in us. The word of God changes our wanter. The word of God opens our eyes about what we can have and what he wants us to have. The word of God enables us to believe we can have exactly what Jesus has promised. And we can have it now because his word says so. But if we don't take the time to put the word in, we won't see the change we want. Our confidence won't be built. We'll go back to our natural flesh-headed way of thinking. Oh God, where are you? It's dark. <laughs> where are, where are, why aren't you here? Why did this bad thing happen? God, what? Where? Why? How? Lots of questions and no answers. All of the answers are found in the Word by His Holy Spirit. Amen? Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you, Father God, that you're a speaking God. You're a talking God, and you're always talking, even though we're not always listening. We thank you, Father God, you enable us to see you for who you are, how good you are, how faithful you are, how true you are, how dependable you are, even when the circumstances aren't as we wish they were. You never fail. You know we struggle with unbelief. We struggle with what the natural realm tells us. We struggle with what we see and hear and feel. But you call us, just like these disciples, you call us to come and see you and hear you through the word, knowing that it is the word that will bring the changes that we want, that that's how you work. You have given us the faith to be able to believe everything you say. And as we submit ourselves to hear it, to study it, to read it, you speak. And we get to recognize that it's you speaking. 
We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.